Hey, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Steve Thompson, and um, I have a, a beautiful, beautiful wife and five amazing children. My children are 7, 9, 12, 14, and 16. And we have a, our family's unique in several ways. I think we're the most dysfunctional family you've ever seen in your life, honestly. Um, you know, my kids, I'll be talking and they'll interrupt me and finish my sentences and I'll try and discipline them and they'll laugh at me and it's uh, uh, because they know I, I, I just, it's almost impossible for me to get angry with them. I love them so much and they, they take massive advantage of me and it's really awesome. And so um, we, uh, it's really funny and when, when I say dysfunctional, I, I honestly believe that in certain ways not according to the classical definition, but we'll have people just come over to, to our house and I'll get home and students from the school will be there just hanging out and, and I can't figure out why they're there, you know, and they're, they're not there to talk to me, they're not real, they're just kind of hanging out and I'll hear to my wife and I'll say, why are they here? And she'll say, well, they're, they're, they just want to see a normal family functioning because a lot of them weren't raised in, you know, normal functional families. I said, well, you know, yeah, what are they doing here? I mean, we're not normal, we're not, we're not, I mean, we're accomplishing, I'm not sure how functional we really are, and so uh, something's happening, and what it is, is our, I was kind of raised with an idea that order was the highest thing, and I didn't understand it, but really, I was raised with this idea that there was conformity to an image that defined your success. And you guys probably aren't like that, but you know, that, that's, that's what I was raised with. And a lot of that was a product of the disorder and the chaos that both of my, fam or both of my parents were raised in. And so they were high on structure, high on order. And, and uh, trust me, I, we believe in discipline and all that kind of stuff. But my kids are something unique. And let me describe to you, it's not just that they are unique, it's that each of them is so different from one another, and they are continuing in a pathway in which they are becoming more different from one another, and at the same time, they're free, as they each succeed, they're all free to continue on their different path and succeed without feeling an insecurity that would compel them to try to conform to the image of one another. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. And so, my oldest is profoundly intellectual. I mean, he's, he's a bright, bright kid. He's also very aggressive and, and sort of hard driving. He's very, very blunt as well. He really is a lot like his mother. And then there is... Uh, <laughs> She's fond of saying she has never hit me above the neck. So, that's making some of you nervous. Anyway, my second son is profoundly poetic. He is uh, a wordsmith. He has this remarkable ability to live from his heart. He's a, a tremendous athlete. He's a, he's a sportsman. Uh, he loves guns and killing things. And I mean, he's just, he's all over that. We went to Australia several years ago. We... We went over there and shot up the outback. We were in the bush and hunting kangaroo and wild pigs and uh, mountain goats. We had so, yeah, kangaroos are a pest over there. 
like, like deer are. There's a massive number of automobile accidents with kangaroos, and they're dangerous. And so, yeah, we shot Skippy. I mean, we just greased him all over the place. It was really a lot of fun. It was awesome. And so um, it was a great bonding time for he and I. I mean, there's, there's nothing like the smell of gunfire and blood to bring a couple of men together. You know what I'm saying? And so... Um, and then there's my oldest daughter, Madison, who's 12, who is just delightful. She's a phenomenal athlete. She's a better athlete than either one of the boys. And she's exceeding at the highest level. And her communication style is so different than the boys. And then we've got our artist, our, our fourth child, which is, I mean, she's so unusual, so unique. She is remarkable. She's, she's an artist in, in the way that the rest of them aren't. And then there's my, my youngest, Olivia who I believe will disappear after college, will not see her, and then she'll show up on CNN and fatigues running a developing country as a dictator. She's just, she's off the charts. Do you understand? I mean, well, anyway. And this is the remarkable thing, and I believe it's a picture of the kingdom of God in that there is no image to which we are trying to, there is no unique image that a Thompson child is conformed to. There is this profound individuality, but each of them is being celebrated for who they are. And somehow, we have to capture this in the kingdom of God. We've got to capture this celebration of one another. This is going to sound tough. Not just a celebration of the common aspects of the Lord that we all love, but a celebration of the unique aspects of our humanity that he created. If we could understand, oh my goodness, help me Jesus. If we could understand that he chose to live in humanity, we would get past our religious self-hatred that causes us to reject the humanity that he created. When the scripture talks about not putting any confidence in the flesh and not putting any, uh, and, and it deals with the fleshly things, he's not talking about our humanity. He's simply talking about our carnal strength and our dependence in our ability to please him dependent on our religious works. We don't need to run away from our humanity. Is this making sense? We learned it, we, we've got to celebrate. One of the reasons the world cannot connect with us is they do not understand. They don't understand why we don't celebrate one another. They don't understand why we don't love diversity. They don't understand why we're so narrow. There was the old joke that, um, you know, why could five people fit into a cab, but 13 Christians could fit into a cab? The idea was because Christians are so narrow. <laughs> we're not supposed to be. Our hearts are supposed to be wider. 
but we've been framed by all this religious thought that actually causes us to not love the very things and the very ones that God created. I don't, I don't understand my children at all. Uh, but I just absolutely love them. And they're amazing. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example. My oldest, 16, walked into the house recently. I was the only one there. Everybody else was gone. I was sitting in the family room. He walks up, and he doesn't really sit down opposite me. He sort of stands there. And he is an intense kid. I mean, he, just, he just looks at me. He says, Dad? And I said, Yes, John. He said, you know I plan to excel you. <laughs> and I said, well, of course, son, that's, that's the point. That's, that's the whole point. Josh could tell you some stories about John. He's one intense puppy. And so he, I said, well, son, that's the point. And he said, okay, I just want to make sure you knew. And turned and walked out of the room. <laughs> and so, now let me, let me interpret for you. The average person doesn't know what to do with him, but I know his heart. And here's what he was saying. Dad, I want you to know how much I appreciate the foundation that you've given me and what you've invested in my life and the support and the framework that you've created for me. You've invested so much in me. You can't imagine how and what this means to me. It has touched me so deeply. I want you to know that I'm going to use every skill, every tool, everything that you've invested in me, and I'm going to go to the distance in my life. And my way of honoring you is to live a life beyond anything you could have imagined because you were laying down your life so I could do that. But it came out as, I plan to excel you. <laughs> but that's what he meant. I want to I suggest to you that that's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is that our kids' expression of the kingdom of God, both what they experience and what they express, or what, comes, what they understand and then what comes out of them and what they're able to produce, is supposed to threaten the very core of our being. If our children only live up to the place that we, or if they only live up to the bar that we have set, let me say it differently. If my children live up to the bar that I have set, I will feel as if I have failed. The goal in the kingdom of God is not that the disciple would be like his master. The goal in the kingdom of God is that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That scripture doesn't say that of his government there will be no end, but of the increase of his government, there will be no end. We're, we're not only supposed to have what could be sustainable, it is supposed to be sustainable and increasing and going on. And I believe it can do that, I believe we can do that with peace and without turmoil. I'm going, to, I'm going to read something to you that my, my son wrote recently. And, and then I want to tell you about two different reactions that friends of mine had to it. And some of you are going to have some reactions probably as well. I was in, a, I was in Korea when I got this. A little note on Facebook from him. And this is what he wrote. It's called A Beginning and an End. 
to, to let you know, he's 16 years old, he's a senior in high school, and he has been offered at least four full ride plus extra money, scholarships, plus housing, plus all that, to colleges he has not applied to, simply because they, they heard about this award that he got, and so it's really kind of crazy. It's unprecedented territory. By the way, that happened three weeks after he told me he planned to excel me. He's on his path. It's pretty good. And, and pardon me for being a, a proud father. Actually, just skip it. Never mind. Don't, don't, don't pardon me. Hey, everybody out there in the world, just got some words for you if you'll listen. So why then don't I launch right into it? I'm absolutely ready for a major change. I'll explain. I can no longer accept what others have as my own. My parents' Christianity cannot suffice for me to loosely quote an eloquent father, I must move into my own journey for my generation and exceed what my parents and their contemporaries knew. This applies in many other areas too. The environment I have been raised in, which is, by the way, a wonderful experience that has vitally shaped me as an individual, can no longer support the ideas and plans I have for my life. I have outgrown this fishbowl, to quote an eloquent mother, and have stepped into a new realm upon which many parts of my life will now be based. At the foundation of this new realm is a vision for extraordinary things, wonders and marvels, exploits and influence, success and wealth, and a healthy and righteous knowledge of who Christ is inside of me. I am going to change the world. I am going to impact fundamentally the framework and makeup of nations. I'm going to mess up everybody's perception and paradigms upon which their beliefs and lives are based in a totally positive way. I will defy the common image of what a single person can do. I will redefine and exemplify what the power of God manifested in man really looks like. I'm going to walk in as much authority as is possible, and I will be recognized and lauded by God and man. My name will be reputable, and my opinions and insight will be valued highly I will be consulted by persons of fantastic leadership positions, and I will occupy a few myself. I have so many different plans for my life, but I now realize that they work together to form an awesome conglomeration of events, experiences, and pursuits that will constitute a life truly made in heaven, crafted by the Father's hand. A passion inside of me is not an empty pursuit. I have the full backing of God in all of my endeavors as long as they are righteous. He has a wonderful and a unique plan for me, and I am excited beyond all conceivable measure about unlocking his potential in me. Getting back to the point. I must transition myself, my thoughts, and my visions to meet this standard. What does this look like? For me, I must prepare my heart as well as my mind and my body for what lies ahead. If I want to make even the most, or excuse me, the least ambition, ambitious portions of my visions and dreams a reality, not only will I need the full support of the Lord, but I must also begin to make provisions, study the right things, dwell upon and practice the skills and traits that will propel me to those goals. For instance, my choice of college and subsequent major will play a vital role in what I will become. How vital? While it is certainly not essential to my success, it is a responsible use of my resources to help me make what happen, to make what happen, make happen what I wish for. I can fulfill my dreams to an extent, but to really excel in them and master them, I have to be willing to give my time to the preparation for those pursuits. Why am I telling you this? 
I want to encourage you to do the same. I refuse to be cliche, but there is a great purpose for you. Fulfill it. What God wants for you is worth every penny and every minute of time spent working for it. His reward is greater than we can fathom. He is truly the Alpha and the Omega, the bookends of our lives and our hopes. Go for everything he has for you. Succeed. Work hard. I have found a temporary reward for mine, and it's spurring me to work even harder, hopefully. In summary, I must expand my life outward from the bubble that has been around me in order to meet my purpose. To be content in what has been presented to me would be good, but is good really the goal? As my forefathers have broken free of the social and spiritual paradigms they were raised in, I must also go further using my parents' success as a slingshot for my own life. It is what honoring them means. So I end a phase in my life, an irreplaceable, fundamental, glorious existence in what I have been again given. I begin afresh, equipped with the lessons, dreams, and values that I have been endowed with, forging my own path with my perfect guide, the one and only creator. Now he's a better writer than I am at 16. Available on Facebook if you want to be his friend. But he's also prone to put some other stuff out there that's a little edgy. So just to let you know. Let me tell you why he's attached to that. He heard me speak a message. Two points I want to make, and then I've got some encouragement for you guys prophetically about where you're at and what you're doing. First of all, um, the mystery hidden from the ages, according to Paul, revealed in Colossians 1, is this. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ inside of you is an expectation of of glory. This is hard for us to imagine. And this is very hard to conceptualize and to really attach to and believe. But Christ inside of you is God's hope and God's expectation of glory being revealed in the earth. What are you saying? I'm saying that in the church, we have focused on our inheritance in God. And the scriptures, Paul actually writes and says, I want you to understand what God's inheritance in you is. What? God has an inheritance in us. Most of us can't even conceptualize that somehow we would have power or ability to really accomplish things for God, with God. We're expecting him to do all this stuff. God has an inheritance in you. There's no pressure to perform. It's a promise of something that we can accomplish. But check it out. 
You ready for this one? The mystery hidden from the ages is Christ in you, not Christ instead of you. The religious spirit has had us trying to get rid of ourselves so that God could shine forth. It's Christ in you, not Christ instead of you. It's Him revealed through you. It's Him revealed in your humanity. It's Him revealed through your humanity. It's Him supernaturally coming through with your unique personality. Again, my kids emerging with all this uniqueness and no one can figure out. People say to me, what did you do? I actually had a girl years ago say, tell her mother, which is a huge mistake, I want to raise my children just like Steve Thompson has raised his children. It offended her mother so profoundly because she, she took it as a, a rejection of, of her mother. So her mother was really disturbed and came to me and said, what did you do to raise your kids like you did? And I thought, I got my wife pregnant. Actually, she said, what did you do to, to make them like they are? And I said, I got my wife pregnant. And she said, what else? I said, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, what did your wife do? You know what we didn't do? We didn't tell them what they were supposed to be like. We discovered what they were like, and we supported them, and we taught them, and we encouraged them along the way. We did not give them an artificial standard that they tried to conform to, we labored to see Christ formed in them in a very unique way. Does this make sense? And it's, it's remarkable what's happening to them. I, you, you've got my oldest there, and then you've got my, my second son succeeding. My six-year-old played, um, or she, I'm sorry, six-year-old. She's a seventh grader now. Last year when she was in the sixth grade, she was 11 and then 12. She played high school varsity soccer and was their star. Four foot eight and 70 pounds. I mean, literally, there were girls uh, playing on the other teams and on that team my size, and some a little bit taller, and my daughter stands as tall. And people would come up to me from the other team at halftime, and they would say, is number 18 your daughter? And they would say number 18 because they didn't want to say, is that little girl who doesn't look like she belongs out there your daughter? And I would say yes, and they would say, she's unbelievable. What did you do? How did you do that? I said, I didn't do anything. I created an environment where she fell in love with soccer. I was her coach for a little while, but she has this gift inside of her. She doesn't even know how she's doing what she's doing. And you play every team twice. The second, the second time they would play most teams, uh, these guys would come to me. And they would say, hey, I, I just want to let you know I'm here. I'm, I'm a father. My daughter plays on the team that's playing uh, your daughter's team today. But I, I wanted to let you know that I came the first time to support my daughter. I've come back today to watch your daughter play because she's got something special about her. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? She's doing this natural thing, this thing that's natural to her. She's excelling in her gift. And people are coming to her father because of her gift. 
See, as you move in whatever gift God has put inside of you, people will come to your Father because of the gift that you excel in. This isn't complicated. The kingdom of God is not complicated. It's simple. I tried to talk to my daughter one day. She was out of position on the soccer field. She made a couple mistakes. I pulled her off to the side and I said, hey, baby, you know, um, let me show you what you need to do. And, And I talked to her about it. Next game, she was so analytical that she was out of position every time. So I pulled her off at halftime and said, come here, just forget everything I said. Just go back out and have fun. She scored a couple goals and team won. We're so complicated, all this. My son's estimation is God will endorse all of my passions and all of my pursuits as long as they're righteous. I'm going to tell you what's getting ready to emerge in this place. It's something you've already found. It's something you've already attained, but it's going to expand uh, and it's going to expand in a very seemingly natural way, but it's, it's going to be remarkable. You ready for it? God's going to give you guys the ability for this place to become like, like his living room. That's what this church is going to feel like. It's going to feel like the family room, the living room. And people are going to come here because it just feels natural in the right way. And they're going to experience God in a very, very natural way. They're going to, they're going to find freedom from the pressure. They're going to find freedom from the self-evaluation. They're going to find celebration of who they are and who he is inside of them. Not who he might be instead of them, who he is inside of them. You guys are going to celebrate one another's successes in a remarkable way. They're going to be vastly diverse people who are going to be added to this congregation. It's going to be a remarkable testimony about the family of God. Okay? There have been what the Lord showed me uh, in a vision. There were decisions made several years back. I felt like five years ago and two years ago, there were decisions made that turned things upside down. Had those decisions not have been made, you would have experienced a diminishing of the presence of God. You would have experienced a diminishing, but you're not going to experience a diminishing. You're going to experience an increase. And it's going to be a systemic increase. Really, really remarkable. You're actually going to become a regional resource center, but it's going to be without pressure. A lot of times, success comes at the cost of peace. And there's massive striving to help continue the success. What you will experience will be sustainable. Uh, It will be an integrative thing. And it will also have peace at the very foundation because it's supernaturally natural. Is this making sense to you? That's where you guys are headed. Heather, I felt like the Lord showed me for you. uh, And I had seen this on you years ago, but uh, you're standing sort of at the threshold where I saw significant influence with women in this area. I mean, significant influence. Um, There'll be a day in which, um, I mean, I can see literally thousands gather 
to honor you for the input that you've had into their life. Remarkable, remarkable input. This is your calling. And so, and you're ready for it right now. And so it'll emerge over time very, very naturally. You don't have to become somebody other than who you are. You know, you are what God has created. We are who we are. And that, you, you don't have any idea of the people that you're influencing right now as you walk through a room. It's remarkable. But literally, there'll be thousands that gather to honor you. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. It's very, very, it's a very, very nice thing. One of the things that the Lord will give this congregation, and I'm just going to have to describe this. I don't even know it will make sense to you. But he's going to give you a message of cleansing, for lack of a better term, sanctification, although a lot of us don't know what that is. But people will be able to come here and get a clean life that is gentle and comforting. They'll come here and they'll find cleansing that is gentle and comforting, not harsh or caustic. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty cool thing. And... Um, It'll be really something significant and something lasting. You know, ultimately, um, I just kind of felt like you guys were really right on track. You don't, you don't really need to, to change anything. I know that sounds heretical to the average believer, but <laughs> you really are on track. You just need to keep going. You just need to keep moving. You're right on track, you're right on time, you're not behind, you're actually ahead of the game a little bit, and you just, you just need to keep moving. Things are just going to uh, just keep popping. It's going to be good. It's going to be very good. So, Now, let me try and help something here. Let me see if I can do this. Um, let me tell you why I believe my son has adopted the posture that he has. We were not headed towards this. We were headed towards something else. Everybody okay? Okay. I realize this may be a little bit disconnected in terms of thought processes, but um, that's just kind of the way I think. Um, my f- parents were raised in a couple of the worst family situations I've ever heard of. My dad's situation was um, beyond difficult. It was tragic. Um, His father, uh, both of his parents were non-functional alcoholics. They were just, I mean, it was was unbelievable. Uh, I never saw my grandparents when they had not been drinking. I only saw them about 10 to 12 times in my life, and they both died when I was in my 20s because of the just the tragic quality of their life. It was really difficult. But check this out. Here's how my father was raised. His father was this this profound um, alcoholic. So was his mother. His mother was um, just so loose in her morals, it was unbelievable. When my father was 12 years old, this was the pattern that would happen frequently. His mother would disappear from the home for two to three weeks at a time. And my grandfather, who loved his wife dearly, although they could barely get along, would leave the home and would go try to find her as she's running around with other men. And they would both be gone from the home two to three weeks at a time. Okay? My father was the oldest of six, so when at the ripe old age of 11 or 12, 
he was responsible to parent and take care of his five younger brothers and sisters, finding food for them, uh, trying to clothe them, care for them, get them to school, and keep the family moving as this cycle went on and on and on. Somebody spoke to my father about the Lord when he was 15 years old. He met the Lord and, uh, in, in a very, very traditional way. And my father was really just sort of, um, when he was 17, um, he married my mother who was 15. They forged my grandfather's signature to get permission and slip over to South Carolina where he didn't have to be 16. They didn't tell us that until we were in our 30s. <laughs> sort of that protective lying that parents do. Um, my mother was raised, so my father's raised in like domestic abuse. I mean, he actually um, uh, heard a thud outside of the door when he was about 14 years old and found his father having been stabbed about 25 or 30 times by somebody. And I had to clean him up and save his life. And it was just, it was an unbelievable, unbelievable story. And so my mother, meanwhile, was raised in, you know, domestic violence and uh, poverty. Uh, she would literally miss 90 to 100 days of school a year to pick cotton in the fields. She never graduated from a class uh, because she, well, she, she graduated socially. They just passed her because she wasn't there enough for them to legally say that she had attended school. It was my parents. And they're, they're not that, I mean, they're in their 60s. They're not that old. And so... Uh, they got married at 15 and 17, moved off to start a life. My dad had been led to the Lord by somebody. Now, here's what their Christianity was like. Their Christianity was all about rules and regulations and avoiding sin, and it was exactly the Christianity that they needed to help them emerge from what they had been raised in. Are you following me? And they ended up in a church that was populated largely by people in that generation who had gone through similar things. So the message was all about these rules and these regulations and avoiding sin and turning from sin and turning away from all of this. And so what happened, they were successful in their Christianity. But here's what happened. Um, they emerged and they found a type of Christianity that enabled them to emerge and to move forward from those situations that they were raised in so that my brother and I were raised in a completely different environment. But here's what's interesting. When I was five years old, I began to have these supernatural encounters. I began to hear the Lord speak to me. I would hear him call my name in the night, and I'd hear, a na I'd hear my, my name called, and I would actually get up and go to the bedroom door and open it, expecting somebody to be there. Nobody was there, and I began to have dreams that would sometimes come to pass, and this was in the late 60s, and so in, in our, their brand of Christianity, there was no context or ethos for the supernatural. It was all about moving away from sinful lifestyle, and so there was, there was no place for me. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out. And there was no support. They thought what I was moving in was psychic phenomenon because there was a proliferation of that in the late 60s, early 70s, and all that communication. And so they didn't know. It certainly couldn't be God. It was supernatural <laughs> in their understanding. And so I began to 
I would ask questions and I would say things in church and everybody would get nervous. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just an idiot. You know, I just had no clue. And um, I would say, hey, you know, what about this? And they would just sweep over. Well, what began to happen was this. The message that I was raised under was contrary to the experience I was having. And as I'm having the Lord speak to me and I'm having all this kind of stuff, I'm hearing nothing about it, no support of that. I'm being told that's something else. I'm being pointed towards a pathway that's not God. And at the same time, the communication that's going on is, you need to stop this. You can't give yourself to this. You got to, and I, I, didn't even realize I, didn't, I didn't even realize I wanted to do those things. In reality, I didn't want to do them. But I began to hear this message that was just, it wasn't what I needed. And what began to happen, that message, was that it, it began to actually provoke a rebellious response in me, according to Romans 7, the law came, sin revived, I began to sort of fight against it, and not only that, I began to be hopeless. I could walk with God relationally, I could communicate with him, he was communicating with me, I could respond like that, but now I was being told I had to do all this stuff, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? I'm headed somewhere. And so here's what, here's what began to happen. I, be, I began to get hopeless, couldn't figure out how to do this. And the other thing I decided is, my goodness, if this is what walking with God is, I don't want to do this. This isn't real. The message that they needed, I didn't need. They needed it. Not only did they need it, it had actually provided the atmosphere that I was raised in so that God could actually do things supernaturally with me. Had they not found that brand of Christianity and emerged from what they did, I would have been raised in the same thing and could not have found what I found because I would have been in a battle for my life just as they were growing up. Are you following this? Okay. So, but I started, I really had trouble with the message. I mean, I'm, pretty soon I decided the the people on the planet who are the most blessed are those who meet God two weeks before they die because they can enjoy life. I, I'm, just, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's where I landed. They can enjoy life and then they still get heaven because I couldn't see anything of enjoying life because I couldn't do this stuff. I knew I was supposed to and so I lived in this amazingly conflicted life. I eventually walked away from the Lord. I just couldn't do it. just walked away. Now, I started dabbling in substance abuse. Then I started, you know, dabbling or headed towards the other stuff. I was in danger of losing, listen to me, I was in danger of losing the generational progress that my family had made in Christianity. In other words, they had emerged, and I was getting ready to go right back in it. And then I had, when I was at the university, a dramatic encounter with the Lord. I had actually had a series of them. And now what was supernatural when I was younger, all of a sudden got real amped up and really started moving the supernatural. Now, all during that time that I was away from the Lord, my parents were praying for me. They, they knew nothing about discipleship. Again, it was all negatively based. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't. They knew nothing about discipleship. Their discipleship was, don't do this. 
there was no tranquility. They didn't understand. But what they did, they didn't even understand about spiritual warfare, but they knew how to pray. That was a little bit of a joke nobody got. But anyway, the, the, the idea is that they just prayed, and they just prayed, and they just prayed. And so eventually, I came flying back into the kingdom of God. And I'm not making a theological statement there. I just began walking with them again. But they got concerned pretty quickly that they had prayed too hard and that I had overshot the runway. (laughs) Because now what I was experiencing, the supernatural quality of life that God had provided for me and the degree to which I was hearing him and moving in things, it threatened them. Here's why. Because what I was experiencing was very different than their experience. And they were concerned, and we began to have conflict. And this was the conflict. My experience began to provoke them, and what I did not realize is it was provoking, please hear this as graciously as I can say it, it began to provoke in them an insecurity that they had not done the right thing. That they had not gone far enough. That they had not excelled. That they had stopped short. And so they began, unconsciously, they didn't even know that, they began to say, this can't be right. You can't. You've got to come back to the... No, I was going on. At the same time, I was tempted, and not just tempted, was sliding into being angry at the system that I was raised in Understanding that could not provide me what I needed and where I needed to go. And so we were headed towards tension. We were in tension. We were headed towards major conflict. If we had had major conflict, I would have not been able to continue in what I was doing because you can't move forward and excel and prosper if you can't honor the previous generation. The first commandment with promise is that you honor your mother and fathers, that it be well with you, and that your life is long on the earth. Are you following me? Why are you saying this? Because let me say it like this. There is an intergenerational progression of the kingdom of God that we have to have, and the vision for every generation is different than the previous generation and it is supposed to be I would have there was no need for me to have a vision to emerge from sexual immorality domestic violence substance abuse and to provide a stable home for my family. There was no need for me to have that vision and for that to be what I was needed because I was raised there. So what I was able to do was have a vision for a supernatural life, something that would impact nations, this kind of thing, and then my children could be raised in that and then they could actually go to a higher place than that. 
And see, this is what happens when the, the next generation is not given and propelled towards their own unique vision, but they are restricted and tried to be formed to maintaining what has been accomplished by a previous generation. They never get engaged with their purpose, and they do not feel engaged, and they lose heart, and they just fall away into other things. Is this making sense to you? What are you saying? I'm saying this. My parents were offended by my vision because it provoked an insecurity in them and caused them to evaluate themselves. So they were beginning to fight against me. I was having difficulty because I was not given a vision. They didn't understand they needed to do that. And I was beginning to have difficulty. By rejecting my vision, they were starting to to break the place where I could still receive from them. By me doing it, I was breaking away from the agreement which I could receive from them. And here's the issue. Every generation has a brand new vision, and if they reject the previous generation, and if the previous generation rejects them, we're not going to have, now listen to this, a transfer of generational values that enable the next generation to fulfill their vision. See, because I was in a danger of finding my own vision, rejecting my parents' vision, and by rejecting their vision, I was, got, I was going to reject their values at the same time. I need their values, not their vision. The values, the work ethic, the uh, forgiveness, the passion, uh, the... Uh, um, moderation. I need everything that they have as a value to support me fulfilling my vision. Are you following me? And see, when we get into a tussle, we don't just end up rejecting one another's visions. We reject the values accidentally in the process. Okay? And there's a lot of people who become very, very successful, much more successful than their parents. But here's what ends up happening. In the process of success, they move away from the values that anchor them and that allow them to thrive and even survive the success. Now, I want to be honest with you. I live a completely bizarre life. Let me just describe to you. I go to places, I stand up and I speak, God speaks to me, tells me what to say to people. I say it, and people give me money, treat me better than I need to be deserved, and I go home. That is a bizarre life. I was just in Korea, and they gave me piles of money to come and stand and to move in the gift that God has given me, to teach, tell good stories that happen, to God will show me things, give me visions for people. I'll tell them, they'll go, oh, that's it, I believe, Lord, and go into all that, and and they'll just, I stay in five and six star hotels. It's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, I'm, I'm like the guy that God should have just killed and it would have been simpler for him and everybody else. I mean, I was not a good person. I was voted most likely to take a life by my high school class. That's, that's a joke. That's really not true. No, it's not. It was a good joke. But what I'm saying is, I live this crazy life. It's ridiculous. And see, I've seen people who live this life who begin to believe that they deserve it. 
And they begin to be bizarre. They begin to abandon their families. They begin to uh, act as prima donnas in the pulpit. They begin to live a crazy life. They begin to walk away from character. They begin to walk away from moderation. They get excessive in their lifestyle, and they end up becoming a huge embarrassment to the church because they move away from values that should have anchored them in a place of success that was beyond anything they saw growing up. The reason my children have me investing in them is because of my parents' investment in me. And because we were able to get past the conflict generationally that could have ended my ministry or my life or my successful parenting or my marriage prematurely. Now, why am I telling you this? Because you guys have already made some sort of generational shift, but you're not through it yet. And there's another one coming. And you've got to understand how to embrace one another, honor one another, support one another, love one another, while celebrating things that threaten you. I let a 50-something-year-old, very close friend of mine read this. Actually, I asked him to read it. I emailed it to him. And he said, that's delusional. He read what my son wrote, and he said, that's delusional. I let 30-year-old friends read it, and 40-year-old friends, and they went, that is awesome. That is the cry. That's the heart cry of a new generation that is not going to accept the limitations that were put on us. They are going to go farther. And 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 the guy who said that about my son that thinks I'm he loves my son maybe more than anybody else. But part of what he was raised in to be protected in it he had to position himself against certain delusions that were in his family. So what he had to move in, he's in danger of restricting and not understanding the next generation. Are you listening? Okay. Let me tell you how the Lord showed me, gave me a reminder. God, Jesus, help me. Um, I'm an extremely emotional person. I do not want to get emotional. trying to get through this. Let me tell you how my family made this generational shift out of this mess into a normal life, now into a supernatural life, and my kids planning to go places that my wife and I could have never imagined. The Lord showed me this. My father, and this will take about five minutes, my father's family was so messed up, my grandfather was just, I mean, again, growing up, here's what happened. My grandfather, I watched them. They threw my dad out of, my dad's a big guy, 6'4". They threw him out of the house physically a couple of times because he was sharing the gospel with them, and it enraged the demonic forces that were driving their life. My father eventually led everyone in his family to the Lord. They all met the Lord. It's a really, really powerful thing. Just, just a profound man of integrity. My father, to most of you, would be very unimpressive. Um, just, but he's, he's a gentle gentle man and um, not exceptional in any way shape or form but if you knew what he was raised in the fact that he's sane and functional 
is profound, makes him exceptional. But let me share with you. When I was growing up, my, my grandparents would call and they would always want money or they'd want something from my dad. And it was just, it was so painful for me as a child. I remember lying in my bed, eight, ten years old, hearing my father and grandfather on the phone and my dad trying to comfort his father and his father just raging or somebody coming by the house where we lived. And it was just, it was horrendous. And I remember lying in my bed, eight, nine, ten years old, praying that my grandfather would die so that my father would have no more pain. Not saying it's right. I'm just, as a ten year old, I'm just like, God, I can't stand my dad having to go through this. Just let his dad die, for goodness sake. Let's, let's be done with this. I'd started walking with the Lord by the time he died. He did meet the Lord a couple years before he attained to. Just being honest with you. I didn't know what was going on, but it was. It was an arrogance in me and, and a rejection. So my grandfather dies, and I go, whoo, finally. Thank you, God. Angie and I are going down to the funeral home, and I told her on the way down, she said, how come I never met this side of your family? I said, because they're crazy. I said, there's just, you know, and I told her, I said, I've been praying, you know, prayed when I was a little kid. This guy would just die and just get out of the plan. I mean, he was a waste of space. Just let's go on. And I said, we got down there to the funeral home, and I said, I am not here because of my grandfather. I'm here because of my dad. I love my dad. And even at that point, I wasn't having a lot of respect for him. I said, but I'm here to support him. We got down there, and it, it's, it's uh, Albemarle. It's actually where we were. It's where Josh was, was raised, part of, part of his life, part in Charlotte. And so little small town in North Carolina, and so we get down there, and the parking lot is absolutely full. We get inside, and there were hundreds of people who had come from the city of Charlotte strictly because of my dad, people he worked with. Nobody was there to see my and they didn't have any friends. I mean, he was, he was a waste of a human being, in my opinion, at that point. And so I walk up, and I see my dad, and my dad's got all these executives that he works for who have come down, and because of the respect they have for him. And so he's talking to them, and I go up and, you know, talk to him. And uh, he's not an overly emotional guy, real gentle, but, you know, I just get up and we talk. And he just puts everybody on hold. He says, I, I, I've got to do something. And he, um, he uh, just tells all the guys, just hold on. So he says, would you walk with me up to see my father's body? And I went, Sure. I'm going, whoo-hoo, thank God this guy's dead. I mean, that's what's happening inside of me. We get up there, and we're standing at my grandfather's casket, and I'm going, oh, thank God. Oh, my goodness. About time. And my dad stands there and looks at his dad, and he says this. So much pain. So much pain. So much pain. And I'm thinking, yes, he caused you so much pain. And my dad said, he never knew a day of peace in his life. He's at peace now. All he knew was pain. This is a guy who, in my opinion, ruined his kid's life. And my dad had nothing but love and appreciation and honor and forgiveness, but honor and understanding for that generation. And me, the spiritual giant who was leading a revival on a college campus and seeing signs and wonders, shriveled up as I realized 
there's a spiritual giant standing beside me. And it so impacted me, it just, it put me in a place where I realized, I don't care what anybody does to me, I can never walk in unforgiveness. And I began to understand, this is why my father did not repeat the failures of that generation. Because he honored it. He honored it. He loved that man, and he honored him. The reason my kids are going to go much further and excel my wife and I, and the reason that we have excelled our parents, and the reason they excelled them, was my father breaking that generational curse, honoring the previous generation, and not bringing a reaction, unforgiveness, or anything from that generation and starting brand new and afresh and breaking the curse. Isn't that awesome? We are at a place, we are at a juncture in history, I kid you not, where we have an opportunity to see something we have never seen. A propulsion forward where the generations really join to move forward where we break the historic conflict that emerges and if we can do it in one generation it will establish something for the next generation so that we can see an ever increase in the government of God on the earth I believe we are at a pivotal point in history where we can see the kingdom really begin coming in increasing and sustainable ways So let's honor one another. Let's love one another. Let's encourage one another. We, I don't understand these kids that are around us. And when I say kids, I'm talking about 30 year olds. I mean, I love them. We did an event together, and uh, Eric Kirchin, who you guys know, did this artistic piece for it. And I mean, to me, it looked like a black and white photo with a yellow and a green Pac Man on it. The two nights in June thing, if any of you guys saw that, it was my idea to do the event, and we talked, and I saw that thing, and I thought, that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> but you know what? This is not about me. It's about that generation. He's an expert. I'm just going to go, all right, looks great. Every young person I saw went, man, that thing's incredible. That's awesome. That's the most incredible. And I just went, I don't get it at all. But the issue was not about me getting it. It's their vision with the values that we have to impart to them. My son told me recently we watched the U.S. Open Golf. Um, and I've taken him to all kinds of sporting events because he loves sports. This is what he said to me. He said, next time the, uni uh, the U.S. Open is in North Carolina, I think it's 2014, I can't remember, it'll be at Pinehurst, number two. He said, next time it's there, you're not taking me, I'm taking you. He said, the day of you providing for me is over with, I'm going to provide for you now. And I said, start next week, pal. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's about. We got an opportunity to do something significant. I believe you guys are paving and pioneering a pathway for it. Enjoy the journey and have fun as you do.
Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.